Well, it is good uh, to be with you all. Uh, to those of you at Lake Mary and at Waterford, it's good to be with you. Waterford, I'll get to be with you in person in a couple weeks. I can't wait. Uh, and to the men and women at 33rd, uh, thanks for being a part of this. I, I know uh, I know you could choose not to be a part, and so thanks for, uh, for joining us today. Well, Jesus once told a story. The story went like this. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, which of these two guys would you want to hang with? Which one would be your friend? Which one would you trust more? Which one is more like you? One of these guys has spent his whole life studying God's word, trying to obey it and to teach others to obey it. And the other has spent his life siding with an oppressive government and stealing people's money along the way. One has never cheated on his wife and has given away 10% of his money. And the other admits that he's done all kinds of sins. So which one is more like you? At the core... Both men are the same, in desperate need of approval. Both men are us. We are all in desperate need of approval. The reason we do things is for approval. And even those of us who care very little about what other people think do things to be approved of ourselves for not caring what other people think. So at the core, all of our actions seek approval either to gain approval of others, approval of self, or approval from God. And don't at me, you know this is true. You don't get up at 5 a.m. and CrossFit every day just to be healthy. You don't stay at work longer than everyone else just because you wanna serve your clients better. At the core, all of our actions seek approval. And guess what? That's not a bad thing. We were built to be approved. From the very beginning of creation, we were designed to hear your good. Actually, to hear your very good. So wanting approval is not bad. In fact, we were built with a need for it. It's interesting to me that even if we deny a creator, we can't deny our need to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. In college, I was a theater major, and in one of my acting classes, I had to do a monologue from Arthur Miller's After the Fall. And this monologue uh, hit me hard, even though I was only 20 and I had no business doing a monologue that required a lifetime of living to truly understand. After the Fall wasn't one of Arthur Miller's greatest plays. He's, he's one of our greatest American playwrights. He wrote Death of a Salesman and The Crucible. But After the Fall was his most personal because it was somewhat autobiographical. It somewhat dealt with his relationship with Marilyn Monroe, who at one time he was married to. But he named the character something different. And so the main character in this play is named Quentin, but it's really Arthur Miller. So listen to what Arthur Miller says at the end of the play. 
And imagine me, doe-eyed and 20, with a metabolism that still works, trying to pull this off in class. You know, more and more, I think that for many years, I looked at life like a case at law, a series of proofs. When you're young, you prove how brave you are or smart. Then what a good lover, then a good father. Finally, how wise or powerful or whatever. But underlying it all, I see now there was a presumption that I was moving on an upward path towards some elevation where who knows what, I would be justified or even condemned, a verdict anyway. I think now that my disaster really began when I looked up one day and the bench was empty, no judge in sight. And all that remained was this endless argument with oneself, this pointless litigation of existence before an empty bench, which of course is another way of saying despair. And scene. Um, Arthur Miller denied the existence of God. The judge, to him, the bench was empty. But did you hear the need remained? The need for a verdict, for someone from the outside to say, you're good, you're approved, well done. Without it, Arthur says he was just left with despair. I've been watching a lot of documentaries lately about famous people, and, and they're all the same. It's the same story over and over again. Stories filled with thunderous applause and unshakable despair. Yesterday, I watched a documentary about Cary Grant, arguably probably one of the, the best-loved and most prayed act, praised actors. Do you know, though, his whole life he felt like a phony and like no one really liked him? And every week he would go to therapy and get LSD treatments, which was the thing therapists did back then, uh, so he could experience a moment of peace from his racing mind. Then there was a documentary I saw on Whitney Houston, by far the greatest singer in the entire world. If we want to make America great again, you just watch her rendition of the, the Star Spangled Banner on loop, and you will, you will make America great. Um, she is incredible. But you know, if you were to ask her closest friends, what was, what was the one thing that she said most they would tell you that over and over again, she would say, can I just be me now? She never felt free to be herself. And then Robin Williams, he always had to be on. And he couldn't stay home with his family. He wanted to stay home with his family, but he couldn't because he always had to be making someone laugh. Because for him, making people laugh meant he was somebody. Without it, he was no, nobody. So at home, he felt like nobody. Apart from his performance, he was nothing. Ironically, or maybe more accurately to say tragically, he communicated the exact opposite in what I think is one of his best roles ever uh, in the movie The Fisher King. Uh, he plays this homeless guy named uh, Perry, and he goes on a date with a woman named Lydia. And the movie's from a long time ago, so, so you might not have seen it, but it's a good movie. You should rent it sometime. Um, but, but Lydia is this very shy, introverted person. She has very little self-esteem, and she's sure that if anyone really gets to know her, they'll reject her. And so at the end of this date, she looks at him and she says, I've had a wonderful time. I never want to see you again. To which Perry, Robin Williams, says, what? That makes no sense. And then she says, well, you see, this is how it works. 
we'll exchange numbers and you'll leave and then I'll go to work and I'll feel so good for one day. Then you won't call. Then you won't call again. Then you'll never call and ever so slowly I'll turn into a piece of dirt. I don't even know why I'm putting myself through this tonight. It was very nice to meet you. Goodbye. But as she tries to leave, Perry grabs hold of her and he says, wait, I have a confession to make. And she says, you're married. He says, no, here's my confession. I already know all about you. And not just tonight. I know you hate your job. I know you don't have many friends. I know you feel uncoordinated. I know you don't feel as wonderful as everyone else. I know all about you, but I love you. And I think you are the greatest thing since spice racks. I would be happy to be knocked over several times if I could just have that first kiss. And I won't, I won't, I won't be distant. And I'll always call. I'll always call if you'll let me. And then right before our eyes, Lydia is transformed. And we see her reach out to touch him and she says, you're real? It's a powerful scene because we see what happens when someone is desperately afraid of someone knowing her fully, scrutinizing her completely, and then still loving her, approving of her. That kind of love transforms, that kind of love changes her, and that is what changes us too. But we're so afraid that the approval doesn't really exist or that we won't ever be able to do enough to get that kind of approval or we just think the bench is empty. So we settle for lesser approval. An approval that doesn't really know us, that doesn't see us. The approval that applauds a changed life but doesn't produce one. You see, we change in order to get approval but real approval changes us. And Jesus knows this. And we see him in the Sermon on the Mount warning us about this. So we're gonna pick up right where we left off. We're in, we're in chapter six of the book of Matthew. Um, and I'm gonna read uh, chapter six, verses one through six. And then we're gonna skip down to verses 16 through 18. Um, and we're not skipping the Lord's Prayer, even though that is what we're skipping right now. Uh, Jim will preach on this next week. Um, so so we're, not, we're not completely skipping it. We're just skipping it for now. All right, Matthew 6, verse one. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Skipping down to verse 16. When you fast, do not look so, um, somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. 
and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is God's word. Now in Jesus' day, uh, there were three signs of piety. There were three ways to be religious. Giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. In fact, a popular writing from around 2000 BC says, prayer is good when it is accompanied by fasting and almsgiving. That just means giving to the poor. So Jesus here is mentioning the same three practices. He's saying, he, he's saying the same thing, that it's good to give to the poor. It's good to pray and it's good to fast. But his emphasis does not fall on the deeds themselves, but on the heart behind them. He begins in verse one by saying, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Why not? Because if you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. Now, Jesus doesn't say don't do these things. In fact, he assumes that we will. He doesn't say if you give, if you pray, if you fast. He says when, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. He assumes that we are doing these things. So if you aren't doing these things, this week you should take some time and think about that and even question why aren't you? But that's not the point Jesus is making here. Also, Jesus isn't saying it's wrong to be seen giving or praying or fasting. He's saying it's wrong to give, pray, and fast to be seen. Do you hear the difference there? He's not saying it's wrong to be seen giving, praying, and fasting. He's saying it's wrong to give, pray, and fast to be seen. I got an email this week from a man um, that I had written a thank you uh, note to uh, for giving to our church. Now, I don't know how much he gave um, or anything like that, but, but every week I ask for a list of, of anyone who's, who's given for the first time at the church because I just wanna, just wanna tell them thank you and that, that what they did, it matters. It makes a difference. Um, and so I got this email back from him where he quoted this passage that, that we're talking about uh, today. Um, and with humor, he said, I wish you hadn't thanked me because now I have invalidated his heavenly reward. Um, which I didn't know I had that kind of power. Um, but I wrote him back and I told him, consider himself officially unthanked. Uh, but, but that is not the point that Jesus is making here either. He isn't saying it's wrong to be seen giving or praying or fasting. He isn't saying it's wrong to, to have a record or an account for tax purposes. He's not saying that. He's saying it's wrong to give, pray, and fast to be seen. I mean, just prior to this, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It's not whether or not our deeds are seen or not seen, because sometimes it's important that our deeds are seen, but it's whether or not we did them in order to be seen and praised by people, which I think gets to the heart of what Jesus is actually addressing in this passage. And it's our need for approval. Did you notice that with all three of these deeds, Jesus says you will get a reward? It doesn't matter the reason why you do them. Jesus says, if you do them, for whatever reason, you will be rewarded. Being rewarded is not the issue. It's where the reward is coming from. So he says, if you give to the needy and you announce it with trumpets, 
which can we just stop here for a second and appreciate Jesus? This was not something that was actually happening. Like people weren't actually doing this. Jesus here is being funny. He's painting a picture of a man with a dollar in one hand and a trumpet in the other, walking up to a homeless man, blowing on his trumpet and handing him a dollar. It's an absolutely absurd picture that Jesus is painting. But he says, even if you do that, you will be rewarded. And depending on how good your trumpet playing is, you might even get a standing ovation from the poor guy you're trying to help. But that's it. That's all you'll get. That's your reward in full. And if you pray in a way as to flaunt your piety and your knowledge of of big theological words, people will say, man, he's so religious and he knows some big words. But that's it. That's all you'll get. And if you fast in a way that lets people know you're fasting, again, I love the picture Jesus is painting here. He's painting a picture of like, you know, Sally is preparing for her fast um, and she doesn't want to boast about it. She doesn't want you to, 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 she doesn't want to just come right out and tell you she's fasting. And so that morning as she's getting ready, she's thinking, well, maybe if I look a little ragged, someone will ask me. I won't wash my hair. I'll skip the makeup. Better yet. I'll take some gray and some brown. I'll just put it under my eyes a little bit. And so then Sally arrives at work and immediately Sue says, what happened to you? You look awful. To which Sally will say, oh, I'm fine. Just a little hungry. And Sue, of course, will offer to get Sally a sandwich. And Sally would say, oh, I couldn't. I didn't really want to tell anyone this, but I'm, I'm, I'm fasting. Oh, Sally, how I wish I could be like you. If you fast in a way that lets people know you are fasting, you will be known as a person who takes your faith very seriously. But that's it. That's all you'll get. You'll get Sue saying she wishes she could be like you. If I make a big deal about changing the laundry from the washer to the dryer to Kelly, I will get a thank you and an eye roll, and that is all I will get. (laughs) Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He isn't saying don't, desire the reward. All these deeds will have a reward. But he's saying your desire for a reward is way too small. It's like that quote from C.S. Lewis that us pastors overuse, but it's because it's so good. C.S. Lewis says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Jesus is inviting us to desire more, a greater reward. If you give or pray or fast to be seen by people, the praise of people is the fullest you'll get. But Jesus is inviting us to desire infinitely more. And what's more? It's approval from the Father. The Pharisee at the temple is listing his accomplishments. He's going down one by one and and he's saying all the things that he's done. And, And I don't think he's saying that because he's assured of how great he is. I think he's saying all those things because he's not sure. He's waiting. He's longing for someone to say to him, hey, you're good, dude. You're approved, well done. But the problem is he's trying to hear those words from people and the approval that comes from people only lasts as long as the deed lasts. 
I'm only as good as my last good deed. I'm only as liked as my last Instagram post. Like how short-sighted of us to grasp the rewards of time and let the rewards of eternity go. But Jesus is offering us an approval that doesn't go away and an approval that actually has the power to truly change us. What happens when we give, pray, or fast in secret? What happens when we no longer pray with one, on, one eye on God and one eye on our reputation? What happens when we pray with both our eyes on God? Us and our deeds are seen as they really are. As it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, people look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, this might not seem like the better option because when I'm working for the approval of people, I know what people want. I know what they like. And even if my heart doesn't match what they want, my behavior still can. Even if my heart doesn't match what other people want, my behavior still can. I can play the part. I can put on the mask to get the reward of their approval. But when you wear the mask, only the mask gets loved. The approval only lasts as long as the mask stays on. But this isn't an option with God. There's no fooling him. He knows why I give. He knows why I pray. He knows why I fast. My behavior doesn't change God's view of me. He sees my heart. He, he knows when I give because I feel guilty. He knows when I pray because I'm the only religious professional at dinner and for some reason everyone thinks that the pastor wants to bless the food every time. And I, listen, I don't mind that, so if we go to dinner, I will do that, but you can also bless it. Um, he knows that when I fast... It's not just to seek him and direction, but because I'm hoping to lose some weight too. Two birds, one stone, that's in the Bible. <laughs> he knows our hearts. So yeah, a lot of times I'll settle for the less approval, the lesser approval, the approval of people because I can fool people with my behavior. I can't fool God. But every time I do that, I don't change. The Pharisee doesn't change, but God changes the tax collector. Going back to the parable I started the sermon with, what does the tax collector do? He's the same as the Pharisee. He is desperately in need of approval, but instead of seeking the approval of people, he seeks out God. Jesus says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, Jesus is showing us there's a whole new way to find approval. And in fact, it can only happen when it's just me and God. When the tax collector says, God, have mercy, he doesn't use the typical word for mercy. He uses a word that literally means atone for my sins. He uses the Greek word, uh, hilosterion. And I know this guy knows a lot of big words, but if it makes you feel better, I had to, I had to Google the pronunciation of it. So I might've even said it wrong. But, but at this time, in the middle of the temple, there was the Holy of Holies. And this Holy of Holies was the place where God spoke, where his glory dwelt, and where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, which is where the Ten Commandments were. So the Holy of Holies was really the judgment of God. 
And over the Ark of the Covenant was laid a golden slab called the mercy seat. It was called the helosterion. Same word the tax collector uses. And on that mercy seat, once a year on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the high priest would appear before God and he would offer a blood sacrifice. And this was the only way the people of God could be approved of. And then this word comes up again in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 2.17, we're told that Jesus came to be our faithful and merciful high priest and to make helosterion, to make atonement for our sins. So when the tax collector comes to God desperately needing approval and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, he isn't asking God to lower the standard or to overlook his sin. He's asking God to make atonement for his sin. He is looking for approval from God by asking God to be his approval. He is looking for approval from God by asking God to be his approval. And guess what? God does it. The tax collector cries out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God in Jesus Christ becomes the sinner. On the cross, Jesus became the tax collector's sin and yours and mine. All the reasons, the selfish reasons that we pray and give and fast, Jesus became those. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin, our sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. So do you know why I think Jesus tells us to give, pray, and fast in secret? So that we're forced to face our motives. So that we're forced to look at at what our motives really are and so that we can hear the voice of the Father say, I still approve you because my son is your approval. And listen, the more we hear that, the more our heart changes the more we hear that our sinful motives are transformed into his motives because real approval changes us. And how could we ever be more approved of than when we have the righteousness of the son of God? I was talking to a guy who who was raised in an incredibly legalistic church. And as he grew up, the one thing he heard over and over again was you have to witness for Jesus. You have to tell your friends about Jesus. You have to bring them to church and youth group. You have to get them saved. And this crushed him because he couldn't witness for Jesus because he desperately needed people's approval. He was so terrified of offending people. He was so scared of what people would think of him if he talked about Jesus. So do you see his conundrum? He couldn't witness for Jesus because he needed people's approval. But the reason he needed people's approval was because he didn't have certainty of God's approval. And the reason he didn't have certainty of God's approval of him was because he wasn't witnessing. Real approval changes us. It's the only thing that actually works, that actually changes us. Real approval is still the only thing that can make our motives pure. I told you this quote from Steve Brown a bunch because you need to get it in your gut. The only people who ever change The only people who ever change are the people who know if they never change, God will still love them. The only people who ever change are the people who know if they never change, God will still love them. My counselor, when I first started at Summit five years ago, um, knowing how much I rely on words of affirmation, 
knowing how I struggle with people pleasing, uh, knowing that I was trained as an actor, uh, encouraged me every time I preached to go and spend time alone with God in secret. Every time after I preached to make sure that I carve out time to just go be with God in secret and to talk with him about the sermon. Admit to him what I didn't say because I was scared of the reaction. Laugh about the jokes that fell flat. Talk about how it felt when, when my words didn't seem to go past the first row. To just talk about it. And she said, do this not to try and fix it or get better for next time. Just bring it all to him. Let your sermon just be y'all's little secret. And you know, when I do that, I don't constantly check my email looking for y'all to let me know how I did. I know how I did. And however it was, he still likes me a lot. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches his disciples and us to look inward, to look deeper, to, 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 to check out our motives, to see that murder and adultery aren't just actions, they start in the heart. Jesus says, you've got to look deeper and inward. But here, I think we see Jesus making a shift. And it's a shift that is so important because he knows if we don't make this shift, we're doomed. Here in chapter six, Jesus is making a shift and teaching us how to look upward. If we seek God and seek to please him, even if we fail, because of Jesus, we have the greatest reward, him. 1 John 3.20, it's a good one to commit to memory. It says, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. He knows everything. If you give to the poor, if you pray, if you fast, people might look at that behavior and say, gosh, you're great. But God knows your heart. And he's greater than our hearts. Our heart motives won't always be right. God knows that and he is greater than our hearts. And so the only hope our heart has is with him. Giving, praying, and fasting in secret are all invitations to be with God and to hear I love you. I always will. So don't settle for less. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he spoke so boldly to his disciples and the Pharisees that, that, that he exposed the outward appearance and showed what was really required, which was heart change. Father, I thank you that because Jesus paid for all the ways in which our hearts have stayed dark and cold and evil, we can know that we can still be loved and accepted. We can hope for real heart change that isn't based on the approval of others, but is based on you knowing our hearts and calling out what is most true. Father, I don't know where each of us are at right now, but you do. 
you know where our heart is. You know the areas that we have, that we have been performing, maybe even for you, the areas where we've been performing for other people. You know the mask that we've worn in order to feel approved. Father, could you just break through that? Could we see Jesus so clearly? Could we see that the approval we get from faith in him is the only approval that has the power to change our behavior, to change our heart, to change our motives? Jesus, may we seek you and you only. And we pray all of this in his name, amen.